Thank you for joining us for another episode of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces. My guest this time is American Heart Association CEO Nancy Brown. Nancy, welcome. Before we dive in, would you like to say a few things about yourself? I know you have been CEO for 10 years now. Sure. Well, first of all, Alan, thank you so much for the opportunity to join. Um, as you said, I've been the CEO of the American Heart Association for 10 years, but I've worked for the organization for almost 32 years. And I'm um, really proud that the American Heart Association is focusing now on the link between mental health and physical health as we look at helping all people in the United States and around the world have the best opportunity to live their best life with uh, maximum health and well-being. Can you provide me some background to start us out? What got the American Heart Association interested in workplace wellness? Sure. Well, you know, when you think about the health and well-being of people in the United States and around the world, we know that the majority of people go to work every single day, and these uh, individuals who are working have families and communities that they care deeply about. So at the American Heart Association, where we're dedicated to providing resources and helping to use science and evidence-based solutions um, to help people live their best life, um, we recognized that focusing on the workplace was a critical strategy for the association. And so several years ago, we created a CEO roundtable, which is a roundtable of over 40 CEOs of leading organizations in the country and throughout the world who really um, are serving in a leadership role for the AHA, helping us to make sure we understand the issues that are on the minds of CEOs, uh, but also uh, providing us an opportunity to work with their organizations as an incubator uh, for new ideas and new solutions to help employees be as engaged in possi as possible in their own health and that uh, of their communities and of their families. So that's a bit of the background of why this matters to us and uh, why the focus on companies and employees is so important. That sounds very interesting. Could you tell me more about the CEO roundtable and why mental health was so important to this group? Well, thank you. Um, you know, as I mentioned, this uh, group of CEOs is very committed to creating workplaces that provide an opportunity for their employees to uh, experience maximal engagement and health and well-being. And we recognized as we listened to employees in companies um, that are part of the roundtable that in addition to some of the physical health challenges um, and opportunities that people think about, um, like, you know, uh, levels of exercise, you know, their blood pressure, their blood cholesterol, um, you know, hopefully not using tobacco and having uh, healthy workplaces, that issues uh, that could be described as mental health issues, often anxiety, uh, uh, Depression. These were issues that employees were facing, and we really wanted to take the lead in understanding the evidence and the science of what works to help employers create a workplace that can 
allow employees to to bring their best selves to work every day. And that really is why the roundtable began to work on this. And, you know, just uh, as an, as a point, mental health challenges we know are growing for employers worldwide. Global rates of depression and anxiety have increased uh, 15 to 20 percent just in the last decade. So we know that this is an important issue. And again, as we strive to focus on the whole person, both their physical health and their mental health, we felt that the roundtable could play a really important role in helping to bring new solutions to the table. That's very exciting to hear, Nancy. I noticed there are some big companies that are part of the CEO roundtable, including Johnson & Johnson and Bank of America, do you believe that small employers can implement some of the strategies presented in this report? Thank you for that question, because our intent is that the uh, mental health um, document that we uh, authored and published earlier this month, which is called Mental Health, a Workforce in Crisis, really is intended to be for employers of all sizes. And as you've mentioned, many of the uh, actionable strategies that we've published are things that can be accomplished in a company of any size or a company of any revenue stream. Uh, we are very interested and, you know, the evidence would show that reversing stigma and discrimination towards people who are managing mental health disorders and training leaders to recognize signs of emotional uh, distress and referring employees to employee assistance programs. These are things that can be done in companies, you know, of any size, and they're really important to allow people to get access to resources that can really help them. And some of the recommendations speak to more comprehensive benefits that can be provided to employees and we recognize that, you know, various size, varying sizes of uh, companies might have varying benefit levels for their employees. But we also know that in many communities, there are community resources that are available um, that could be made available to employees instead of an employer having to create and develop those resources themselves. And so I think the most important message is that this is a tone at the top issue that leaders need to create a culture of openness and a culture of support for all employees, including those employees that are dealing with physical and mental health issues to allow people to live their best life and bring their best selves to when companies are looking at their wellness priorities, where do you think they should put mental health as compared to physical health? You know, uh, I think that what we are recognizing is that the two are very specifically linked and that as the evidence becomes more clear that people with anxiety and depression, as an example, have more chronic conditions, their blood pressure is likely higher, perhaps they have type 2 diabetes, perhaps they're not getting enough physical activity, um, perhaps they're a bit overweight, um, or people with the chronic conditions like diabetes and hypertension and people struggling with weight may have more anxiety and depression. And so I think what we're recognizing is the two cannot be separated. And so what we're hoping to do um, with this work of our CEO roundtable and with the release of this report on the mental health crisis in the workplace is that we must link the two together and not elevate one as more significant than the other. We must look at them as a continuum of areas of focus. I agree 100% and really believe that everything is interconnected. 
your report included a lot of great ideas, but for companies just starting to focus on mental health, is there one thing or one area they should focus on first? In other words, what's the first steps they should take, and are there any tools that you recommend? Um, so first of all, in your first question, what, question, what's the best first step? You know, we would encourage every company um, to conduct a comprehensive needs assessment to identify what issues their specific employee population finds to be most important. Um, and that way, programs can be designed based on employee feedback, potential health impact or cost effectiveness and therein having the greatest impact on employees. And in terms of tools and platforms, there are a number of them that we've looked at. Um, a, cu- a couple that uh, we might call to your attention is, for example, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, has a really good resource for mental and general workplace health. It's uh, in their workplace health promotion site, um, and the total worker health program Um, is another area that provides tools and resources for promoting a culture of safety, health, and well-being. Another uh, might be the Mental Health Commission of Canada. They provide a free online toolkit and publish guidelines for employers. And just as an aside, we use these guidelines as part of our expert panel process to develop our actionable strategies. And then the other I might mention is that the uh, Center for Workplace Mental Health at APAF Um, has a depression and substance abuse cost calculator and also a working well toolkit for employers. So uh, those would be a few places to to take a look. Great. Let's move on to a few more questions. When it comes to measuring the effectiveness effectiveness of workside wellness programs, there are a lot of naysayers, and it can be a challenge to prove ROI. How would you respond to those critics who say wellness programs aren't worth the money? When we looked at the report and studied the literature under the uh, expert panel that the American Heart Association put together that included people who were very well-versed in the science of mental health programs, uh, we recognized uh, from our literature search that many of the evidence-based treatments can save 2 to $4 for every dollar invested in prevention and early intervention. And so... Um, clearly, there's several factors that would go into calculating an ROI. Um, one of the things that I might emphasize, whether it's for mental health programs or for overall employee wellness programs, is that obviously we all share the goal of creating healthier workplaces and healthier communities uh, for our employees and, and for their families. And, you know, the secret is of how much effectiveness comes from the programs is how much programs are created that are relevant to the employees um, and how much employees are involved in helping to design and determine the things that will be most impactful for employees. So I often um, think to myself that, you know, when you see these broad sweeping, and I have not seen the article that you've referenced today, but I'll read it. um, But often when we see these broad sweeping comments about ROI on workplace health programs, I always feel that it's unfortunate because, um, you know, putting a dollar to helping a person be healthier or having a work environment that allows people to deal with their mental and physical health challenges um, seems to me uh, to be counterproductive to creating workplaces where employees are engaged, uh, feel valued, and bring their best selves to work. Diving in a little deeper, your report included seven strategies for building a mental health 
friendly workplace. Could you go into more detail about those? Sure. Yes, we did uh, publish very specific actionable strategies, um, and I can uh, read these just uh, so that they're clear. The first is to reverse stigma and discrimination towards people managing mental health disorders. And I think there, an example of what we mean is creating an environment and a culture where, you know, supervisors are paying attention to employees and issues they might be facing, you know, creating an opportunity for open dialogue and referring people to confidential resources like employee assistance programs. And that gets to another strategy, which is about training leaders to recognize the signs of emotional distress. Um, I think often as employees and employers, um, you know, if you think of how much time people spend with each other in the workplace, um, if we could uh, create a movement for supervisors to be trained to be on the lookout for issues so that they can uh, encourage employees to seek assistance, that could really help Um, us deal with these uh, uh, issues in our workplaces. The third is uh, integrating evidence-based policies um, within the comprehensive medical benefits. So we have a whole list of things in our report that we urge employers to look at in terms of um, actual medical services that are available to employees. And uh, we certainly hope that employers will take time to check in on their benefits program and make sure that they are uh, allowing their employees uh, the support they need in terms of medical care. We also strongly encourage inviting ongoing employee feedback to make sure to enhance the workplace culture. And as I said before, as leaders, really walking the walk and being willing to share stories, uh, to provide a forum, um, and to be compassionate about the whole person and their physical and mental health challenges they might have either for themselves or for people in their families as they come to work every day. Thank you. That was a great summary. You touched on this briefly, but with so many different generations in the workforce today, is there a big difference in how each generation accesses mental health benefits? Uh, You know, as part of our work, we did conduct uh, a survey uh, uh, with Harris Analytics of a 1,000 Uh, more than a 1,000 employed individuals across uh, the country. And we looked at generations, gender, uh, parental guardianship, and supervisory status. And uh, among the generations, we found that millennials are likely less aware of available resources compared to other generations and also less likely than Gen Xers and boomers to say that their employers offer programs to support mental health. Um, based on these findings, uh, employers may want to target more communication towards younger millennials who may be most in need and most open to support but are less aware than other generations of the resources. Uh, we also found that women may be advocates for health promotion and prevention programs and more likely than male employees to say that their employer offers these resources and may be more often female employees more often than male employees to use the programs Um, and more likely to want their employer to support mental health uh, programs in the workplace. So there's lots of uh, lots of differences among the generations and the genders. And again, this is one of the reasons we really encourage employers to start with doing a needs assessment in, um, in their organization so that they can be aware for their company in specific of what people want and need. Yes, in my experience, it seems like it's harder to get men to participate in wellness activities. They seem to need 
to get a little nudge to get involved. As we were talking, I thought of another thing. We are based in Omaha, Nebraska, and we've been experiencing unprecedented flooding in all of our, with all of our mountain snow. These types of natural disasters can be a huge source of stress and anxiety. How can companies be more empathetic when these types of events happen? It's such an important question. I think there are so many tragedies that continue to happen, whether they're natural disasters like floods and fires or hurricanes and tornadoes or, or um, sad, uh, you know, uh, acts of violence in the U.S. and around the world that profoundly impact people personally. And one of the most important things I think that uh, employers can do is to quickly um, acknowledge the situation to all of their employees and make sure that employees are aware of the resources that companies offer, either for people who are directly impacted um, or for people who have loved ones who are impacted. And um, it's such an easy thing to do, um, you know, to acknowledge a tragedy and say how the leader feels about it and, and how devastating it is. And again, to remind people to come forward and talk about it, uh, to avail themselves of resources that the company and the communities have. And, you know, I know just from personal experience, when our employees have been impacted by floods, fires, hurricanes, and other tragedies, you know, the importance of, of making sure that people get the help they need is so important and so cherished by employees that we would encourage all to do the same. So to wrap up our conversation, is there any additional information that you would like to share with companies who are wanting to create a mental health friendly workplace? I would just say to summarize, um, you know, we really encourage people to come to the American Heart Association um, to learn more about the report that we released. And you can visit us online at heart.org and our CEO roundtable section of our website uh, includes this report or you can just uh, search for the report as well, Um, and that we would encourage employers to, again, start at the beginning, understand the mental and physical health are linked, um, and that it's crucial to create a cultural norm where employers are comfortable and supervisors are comfortable um, creating an environment for employees to come forward to seek help. Um, Again, that change starts at the top. And that um, training of supervisors and employees and managers is really key and uh, to make sure to listen to what people need and create programs that help support them. And uh, with that, you know, I think that we can make a big step forward on behalf of people in this country who really are looking for their organizations to support them and their entire uh, being. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Mental health is a critical need, and I am so glad you were able to join me. I want to thank you, my guest again, Nancy Brown, CEO of the American Heart Association, for her time, and thank you to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces.